Evening has fallen on the Guadiana River, at the border between Spain and Portugal. The heat gives no peace despite the hour, and the marsh murmurs its nocturnal chatter. The wooden walkway leads across the expanse of marsh and sedge. The herons sleep, the tree frogs must be discussing something important. A strange ticking comes from the wooden walkway that plunges into darkness, a ticking of many legs. I approach the source of the noise and see it proudly with its claws raised, showing me its hard keratin shell, as if to say, no way through here. I catch sight of the animal and behind it hundreds of the same species. It was the first time I'd ever met the Louisiana red crawfish. Welcome to the LifeWatch Eric podcast, A Window on Science. Welcome to a first of its kind in this third season. In fact, the debut of a guest podcaster. I'm Julian Kenny. Thanks very much for joining us. We're still in the world of biodiversity and ecosystem research, of course. Open science and invasive alien species. But today, dear listeners, I'm leaving you in the very capable hands of Federica Gerini. Federica is completing her Master's in Science Communication at CISA, S-I-S-S-A, the Scuola Internazionale Superiore di Studi Avanzati in Trieste, Italy. And her topic today is that troublesome, invasive alien crustacean, Procamberus clarki, the Louisiana crawfish, or crayfish, as you prefer. Federica, take it away. Thank you. The arrival of an alien species is often shrouded in mystery. Was it introduced spontaneously? Did someone carry it in a suitcase by accident or perhaps attached to the sole of a boot? It takes scientists years to reconstruct the pathways of introduction using genetic investigation methods. This is not the case. No mystery surrounds the arrival of the Louisiana red crawfish in Europe. It was legally introduced in the mid-1970s in southern Spain. A first group of crayfish was brought from Louisiana in 1973 and released on a farm near the city of Badajoz, where the Guadiana River flows. The following year, another much larger shipment was imported, destined for the cultivated marshes of the Guadalquivir and released on a farm in La Puebla del Rio. These two introductions marked the beginning of the rapid expansion of the crayfish throughout the Iberian Peninsula, which, in a matter of decades, was practically colonized in its entirety. The species is native to the southern part of the US and northern part of Mexico, and there is a tradition to farm the species. 
together with rice uh, and usually they have this combination rice and crayfish and there they have a sort of fair of crayfish uh, like they have the wild boar fair here in Italy. And so the idea was to export the species to have the same productivity outside US. Uh, but the problem is that, uh, you know, the conditions are slightly different, so it can adapt and it can create a lot of impact. So the problem is that this species that is quite plastic and adaptable found very good conditions almost everywhere, as to say, especially in the southern Europe and the Mediterranean region, and uh, it started establishing and dispersing quite rapidly. The voice you heard belongs to Elena Tricarico. She works as a researcher at the University of Florence in the biology department, and she is specialized in biological invasions in aquatic environments. She has been doing research on the Louisiana crayfish for over 20 years and works with the European Commission on the implementation of the Invasive Alien Species Regulation. Today, we will have a chat with her and she will help us to figure out more about the species. This species is quite plastic, so it can adapt to a wide range of environments from the less polluted to the most polluted one. It has a high reproductive rate, so it can reproduce once or even twice per year, according to the latitude. And also it's an omnivorous species, so it can eat everything from microphytes to tadpoles to other macroinvertebrates. And it can affect a, a lot of native species. It can resist to pollution, to diverse range of temperatures or pH of oxygen rate. It can disperse, transported by humans, but also uh, actively also overland. And it can be viral. So when uh, when the conditions are not good, it can be viral and high there waiting for better times. It became a problem in Europe where it found a suitable condition for the establishment and for the for the spread. And uh, when they drafted the EU regulation about invasive alien species in 2014 and the regulation entered into force in 2015 and then in 2016 we had the first list of invasive species of concern and uh, the restaurant crayfish was there without a crayfish because it already exerted a lot of impact on biodiversity as well as human activities and, and also human health because it, it can accumulate heavy metals and toxins and in some areas the species is consumed so it can create a concern as well. The communities affected by the Louisiana crayfish invasion have to face many challenges as the disappearance of local biodiversity the impairment of bank stability and the impact on human health. All of this carries a cost in monetary terms that has been underestimated for a long time. My colleagues from other countries, they started collecting a lot of data, but these costs are just an estimate and underrepresented. Usually people do not publish such kind of data. Why? They are quite important because, uh, you know, if you tell people this species is uh, affecting the native biodiversity, okay, they can have some concern, but if you start talking about economic costs, maybe they are more, <laughs> they, they can be more persuaded also to control the species. So for the moment, we, we have recorded economic impact 
banks, uh, stability of banks, because as I told you before, the species can dig a lot of barrels, and as the species is not faithful to a barrel, so we tend to use the, the bank in, in a very um, intensive way. And you can imagine like in 25 meters of uh, bank linear, you can find like 100 of uh, barrels and sometimes more than one meter deep. So you can imagine the banks start collapsing. These small ditches are quite important for the agriculture, or for example, for the rice fields. So if the banks are not stable and they start collapsing, the authorities have to uh, rebuild again, and this is a cost. Or another cost is uh, caused uh, by the species on fishery, because sometimes when using traps, you can catch both crayfish and fish, and once the crayfish are in the trap, you can eat the fish or can destroy partially the net. And this is another cost. Um, the other costs are linked also to the management for controlling the species, because in certain areas you have to control the species, especially in some protected areas when you want to preserve biodiversity of certain species, you have to do something. And so this is a cost again. And even the cost, I mean, of research, because if the species was not there, we didn't have to, I mean, do any research and try to find a way to tackle the species. Given the uncontrolled expansion of the species and the difficulty of its eradication, researchers are forced to channel their efforts and select the areas to be protected. We have worked in uh, protected areas or areas where we have a certain biodiversity we can maintain. And so reducing the abundance of the species can be very useful for maintaining the biodiversity. Uh, we have worked in a life project context, and uh, so you know that these kind of projects are uh, devoted to maintain and try to improve the conservation status of native species and habitat. So usually we select uh, protected areas or confined areas, closed areas, because it's more easy to work there instead of an uh, open river or stream where it's more challenging, you know. This is why, for example, management activities of invasive species are quite successful on the island. The small or medium islands, you can work quite well because it's a confined area. I always tell to my students, to my colleagues, I will never, never control the species in the plain between Florence, Prato, and because it's full of ditches and the species is almost everywhere, I will control the species in the plain, maybe in some protected areas or very restricted areas where we still have like uh, dragonflies uh, or amphibians uh, that need to be protected. Controlling the spread of the species and limiting damage sometimes seems an impossible task for researchers. But with the advent of technology, and the efforts perpetuated by the European Union through life projects or infrastructures for biodiversity and ecosystem research, as LifeWatch Eric, scientists can count on the help of willing citizens. Since uh, historical times, humans have the attitude to observe the nature, so especially for birds and trees and insects uh, that are the quite pop- most popular parks observed by people. And uh, now it's becoming more and more important because, you know, researchers or 
stakeholders or managers cannot be everywhere. So citizens can be quite helpful in reporting the species. And I have to say that, um, for example, Facebook is quite useful because there are many specialist groups also for uh, fishes, crayfish, and so on. And usually people put a lot of uh, pics there. <laughs> and uh, I like also to see if there are new records from the pics on Facebook. So, and it happens, it happens to me to, to find new records. So, Citizen participation in the control of invasive species is crucial. But acting preventively and ensuring that introductions do not occur is even more so. We are promoting a lot of the codes of conduct um, towards invasive alien species and different sectors like uh, horticulture, the zoological um, gardens, aquaria and botanical gardens, but also pet owners and traders, fishermen, but also boaters, because we know that uh, regulation and laws are not enough. Everyone can contribute um, every day with small actions to protect our environment, like, for example, um, if you like uh, fishing, I mean, you can fish, we can recommend to clean your um, angling gears or boots or everything before going from a river to another in order to avoid the transmission of pathogens or parasites, um, even invasive parasites. Or for example, you can, I mean, you can practice uh, gardening at your home, but would like to recommend to using the native plants instead of the invasive ones. Or, for example, you can travel, but please remember, don't bring with you any uh, organisms because sometimes people take some plant fragments or seeds or uh, don't do this because accidentally you can introduce uh, the species, but also other pathogens. I mean, the, the principle at the basis is that you can do your main activities, but just follow this precautionary approach and you can avoid uh, the accidental introduction of many species. I walk on the wooden footbridge that winds through the swamp. It is now almost morning and I'm in Tuscany, almost 2,000 kilometers from the Guadiana River in Badajoz. Yet the pattern of many legs still accompanies me. Looking down in the channels leading to the lake, I see muddy whirlpools caused by animals trying to hide from my sight. A grey heron rises in flight from the reeds, sporting a crayfish in its beak. <laughs> 